just last week because we were away, we were off for the weekend, so I felt like I made up. Yes, it's such an overflow, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, there are meetings and there's atmospheres in meetings and everywhere. Which is good. Alright, let me get started, otherwise we're going to be here all day. Uh, it's not just going to be one line, maybe. Really. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you could kind of maybe, maybe another way of uh, giving like a, a, a one-liner for this preach is, is if it isn't, are you stewarding our inheritance is, are you fighting for our freedom? Or is, or do you realize that your freedom equates to our freedom? Okay, so it's this kind of mix between you and us and what God's doing together in us as a people. Um, uh, I'm going to do what I often do. Okay, just a couple of things as I start. If there's, if there's grace in this PowerPoint, awesome. If there's not, then I'll, next time I'll cut it. But you know, if you're going in something that works, just keeps on going until the grace runs out. So we got the PowerPoint again this morning. Hopefully I don't kick it over. Um, but as I love to do every time I preach is, can you remember what I preached on last time I was up here, just about a month ago? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's all of those. Yay, guys, well done. Um, it's, cra- it's crazy how quickly the weeks pass, but uh, the week before I preached, Dale had really preached into like the Father Heart of God, and it felt like again there was a bit of that this past Sunday with Merv. You know, Merv always breaks open the Father Heart of God. And so really seeing that thread into us as a people and as a church at the moment. Excuse me. And then... Um, I preached on the, yeah, the back of Dale about a month ago, really looking at yeah, what it means to be a son or a daughter of God. And it seemed like this particular slide had some traction. Remember that? Are you a son or a slave? And um, yeah, I'll just leave that up there as I do the rest of my intro. But I think it's something that, that God's still wanting to do in us, is still working into us. So it sounds like last Sunday was another Sunday of just God really working this into us as a people. Do we know Him as a Father? Are we living as sons and daughters who are free in Him, liberated, enjoying Him, enjoying what He's doing in His body and building the kingdom, you know? Um, yeah. And it's not an exhaustive list, as I said last time, there's many things, but the principle is there. That if, we, if we live as sons and daughters of God, we're going to experience some of those things with such a blessing. Um, but I really, I felt kind of out of this list that was up there, I felt coming into the Sunday that one of the things that the Spirit was saying to me was you need to make sure that as a people we don't squander we don't squander what it is God is doing in us or wanting to do in us. You know, it says here that a son will steward. So the way sons and daughters have been called to steward something of what God's doing, not just in us, but us corporately, and, and to be aware of, of squandering uh, what the Spirit of God might be doing in us. And this was really, this was reinforced to me when we had such an epic leaders meeting on Monday. I want to say we had such a the leaders. Um, met together with uh, Neil uh, on Monday night. It feels like years ago, but it wasn't Monday. Um, and it was such a good time. Yo, it was a really, really excellent time together. There was a lot of unity. God was speaking to us clearly. I mean, I, I came away so encouraged. I was going, like, please, God, let us not squander what it is that you're doing in us and wanting to do in us. 
And so I was just, yeah, stewing on these things. But then in that meeting on Monday nights, as Neil was sharing, just about the health of the congregation and where God's taking us and those sorts of things, I had one of the old kind of truths that we've believed as a church for many years drop into my heart and into my spirit, which I shared in that meeting. I didn't say lots, but it's the one thing I did say, I think, or a couple of things. And it's this, it's that what we've been saved into, and we believe this as a church, what we've been saved into is more important than what we have been saved out of. Okay. That what we've been saved into is life-defining. And you know, I never really, I realized this as a Christian when I first gave my life to Jesus many years ago, but I really realized it years ago when we, when we visited Josh Jane for the first time, end of 2009. And in those days, it was kind of pre a lot of technology we have these days. You got a CD, like if you arrived. A CD, which was a, a, a burnt disc of Andrew preaching on what it means to join a church, or what it means to be a member of a church. And basically, in this preach, the message was, joining a church is the most life-defining decision you will make. It will define everything about who you are. That's the way it is, and it should be like that. And I mean, I've been following God for like about 11 years at that stage, and I knew that. I'd been a pastor, I'd been working in a church, I knew, but something when I listened to that just dropped into my spirit, and I was like, yes, everything about who we are, us now as a family, needs to be defined by what God is doing, what he saved us into, what God is doing in his church and in his body. The old is gone, the new is coming, I need to give myself to the new. Okay? Amen. So, what we've been saved into is more important than what we've been saved out of. But in order to enjoy what we've been saved into, we need to understand what we've been saved out of. And we quickly forget We quickly forget what we've been saved out of. Um, yeah, and so this morning I want to pause for a bit. And as much as it's been, a, it's been amazing to sing about God's love, and He is, He is, God is so loving. But I felt that this morning, in order for us to walk into greater freedom, we needed to pause and to kind of look at sin, not in its entirety, but to look sin in its face and identify it for what it is and say, that thing we need to overcome. That thing we need to go beyond because what we've been saved out of, we need to leave behind and we need to walk into what God has for us without being wounded, without limping um, and without being hindered, you know. So we're going we're gonna to spend some time in Joshua 6 and 7 this morning. And um, as we go to Joshua 6 and 7, I don't think I've ever preached on this um, portion of Scripture before. I might have, but I can't remember. So I'm excited to preach from it. Let's just do a quick, like, where are we in the story moments? Okay, so this is the Bible. This is the Old Testament. It's Joshua, which comes just over Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, ch- sorry, chapter 6 and 7. Can anyone tell me what's happened in Joshua up to that point? Okay, the nation of Israel had been under Moses' leadership up to the end of Deuteronomy. Moses dies. Joshua is now the leader. He's going to take them into the promised land. What comes to mind in the first five chapters of, of, uh, of Joshua? Be strong. Chapter 1. Strong and courageous. That's like our church scripture. We're the Joshua generation, man. We are going to take the land. He counted the angel. Yes, he the angel in about chapter five, I think. Four, I, just think I just think the spies and a great story that Rahab. Yes, the spies, Rahab. Exactly. Anything else? 
Any else that can remember from the first five chapters? Can, they have you crossed the river as well? Okay, so, so Joshua takes them to the edge of the Jordan River, and then they cross the Jordan River as a nation, which they've yet to do up to that point. Okay, they cross the river. I've got a few things that I'll mention. They cross the river. Once they cross the river, they establish a memorial because they want to remember. This is what God did. It was a supernatural event. Remember the Joshua River was in flood. And they stepped into a flooding river and the water stopped up and they moved across. Incredible, man. Yes. I said this before, but I've stood on the edge of the Zambezi River and I've looked to the other side and said, I don't know how many crocodiles there are between here and there, but there's no way I'm swimming from here to there. It is so far, I can't even see the other side. And it's dangerous. A river like that. Anyway, the Jordan's a little bit smaller, but I'm kind of going to emphasize it. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, I'm just trying to emphasize it. It's called artistic interpretation. Anyway, it's like across the river, they establish a memorial. Once the memorial has been established, because the old generation has now passed away and a new generation is, is crossing over into the promised land, all the men needed to be circumcised. And so the men are all circumcised. Why? So that they will know from the moment they cross into the promised land, it's not by their own strength that they're called to do this. God wants to humble them. Humble them. Get them literally unable to move, weak. So they have to look to him, Joshua, and to God for their leadership and their strength. Right? They celebrate their first Passover in the promised land. Rock on. Then the commander of the Lord's army appears to them, which is what um, Johnny had said, um, which is a incredible portion of scripture and then they get to Jericho so they cross the river and then now's the first of the cities the first of the peoples that they need to conquer to take the land all right how many times do they march around the city seven so all right so on the seven. six is it six or seven okay it's six times eh and then help me and then is it on the eighth time that they let out the shaft or is it on the seventh Thank you, thank you. This is not in my notes, I'm literally going from my mind, so awesome. So it's a powerful picture there, the walls come down, and they're able to, basically God says, go in and conquer this people. You know, that the only, only ones that are saved in that situation or preserved are Rahab um, and her family. Okay, and so we get to then Joshua 6. And God has given some instructions as they, are, as they take the city. He says that they are not to take anything for themselves. There are things that are defiled. There are things that are meant for destruction. There are precious things as well, which they are not to, you know, as human beings, we go and then we see a piece of gold and we're like, I want that thing. You know, it's going to be good for me. It's about me. And so God gives them a warning. He says, no, don't touch that stuff. Okay. So that's where we are in the story. Let's read a bit. It's in Joshua 6. And it says, And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. This is the same loving God we were saying about earlier, hey? It's incredible. Only Rahab, only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom had been sent before. Okay. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel, a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord 
And it's, it's not so much that these things themselves were important, but the point is that God is holy. God is wanting this people to be a set, set apart for him and not to be distracted by idols and by wealth and by things. He wanted them to be a people consecrated and devoted to him. Okay, so we read this Joshua 6, 17 to 19. The story begins to unfold. We're going to go into the next chapter. Joshua 7, verse 1. It says, But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, or Achan, I don't know how to say his name. Something like that. I know that a C-H is usually Achan. Um, anyway. Achan, the, the son of Kami, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. So he didn't listen, disobeyed. And it says, The anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. And then in verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They've taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among all their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up. Consecrate the people and say, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. For, the, for thus says the Lord God of Israel. There are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Whoa. That's a good morning, hey? Yo. It's an insane portion of scripture. This kind of stuff scares me. In a good way. Um, and then verse 17. And he who is taken with the devoted things shall be burned with fire, he and all that he has, because he has transgressed the covenants of the Lord and because he has done an outrageous thing in Israel. And then in verse 20, Achan puts his hand up. And Achan answered, Joshua, truly I have, have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. This is what I did. Okay, so there are a few things that I just want to mention. Oh, I don't even know where my notes are now. A few things I want to pull out from this portion of scripture like, that I think are pointers for us and things we can learn. It's a weighty story. Let the weight of it sit on you, you know. Firstly, we see there's no doubt as God's speaking to him as a nation that he's not just the loving God. He is a God of love, but he's a holy God. It's so clearly seen in this portion of scripture. God is holy and he does not dare sin. Okay, all right, he doesn't do sin. We see in this portion of scripture that sin is a breaking of faith. I'm going to go back, let me see if I can find it. There, they broke, sorry, they broke faith. Sin is a breaking of faith and a transgressing of God's moral character and law of his heart. It's a breaking of his heart and of his way. Okay. Its consequences are trouble. The consequences of sin are trouble, a thing of destruction, and it will bring destruction and trouble will come your way. So its consequences are trouble and ultimately destruction and judgments. We see that when it talks about fire later on, hey? Be burned with fire. And the incredible thing in this story is you see this... Um, like this paradox or this like juxtaposition between the corporates and the personal. 
As a nation has gone into the land, God has given a command to them as a people, and it's one man who steals something. And yet when God, when God picks up on this, what does he do? He says, people of Israel. He doesn't say, it gets to a convention. He speaks to the people. He says, people of Israel, something has gone wrong. And I think sometimes living in the new covenant, living as like independent, like free will people and believers that they are, it's a crazy thought to think that your freedom affects the body, or your lack of freedom affects the body, or your freedom from sin enhances the body, or your lack of freedom from sin affects the body, or infects the body. And I just had a sense of this, as like, as God is call, calling us to be and sons and daughters who steward what He's doing inside of us, I just had this, um, had this saying, where is it in my notes? I had this thing going through my head, which, um, if you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. This is how this message started. If you play with fire, you're going to get burnt. There's only so long that you can go playing with fire and thinking that you're not going to get burnt. Eventually, you're going to get burnt. And if you don't get burnt now, you're going to get burnt on that day where you're going to have to stand before a righteous and holy God and give an account for your life. So rather bring what could be in the darkness into the light now so that God can set you free. Okay. Exactly. That's exactly the point. It's because of one man's sin and the effect it had on the body, they were unable to accomplish and do what God had called them to do. Okay. So I know I don't want to do a whole thing of trying to unpack the Old Testament and the New Testament. I know we're living under a new covenant. But there's this aspect of truth here which is vitally important where it says this understanding that your freedom is our freedom. Your inheritance is actually our inheritance. And this beautiful kind of connection between the two of them. Okay, so let's just dwell and think on sin for a few minutes. Um, yeah, I need to get moving. Just think about sin, the nature of sin. What does sin do in our lives, you know? What does it do? And if you look at Achan, you, uh, you can't pull too much out of him in this particular story because not too much is said about him. But there's definitely a sense in which sin is, the first thing sin is going to make you do is want to hide. It's going to want to cover up. It'll come and either you'll pull back and pull away and religiously run and hide away, or you'll hide behind masks, you'll hide behind facades, you'll put a front up and hide behind the, the, the falseness of that. So that you think you're protecting yourself, and actually you're not. But um, sin alienates, I've mentioned this often when I preach, but I want to say it again. Sin will always alienate. Alienate you from God, and will alienate you from others. Okay, so sin is so horrible, because it cuts off and it corrupts relationships. God is a God of relationship. He's one to bring us into freedom and liberty of relationship with Him and each other. And so sin will always bring a bit or a feeling or a sense of alienation. Okay. Sin condemns. We are condemned before God in our sin. Sin has power in slaves. It's because they have an enemy who wants to draw us away from a loving father. So it's not just a thing. Sin, it's not just an action, something you do, but actually it has power. There's a spiritual power attached to it. So it's so cool to hear that Cindy, Isle of Man, 
Yo. Cindy came and spent about like four months with Weinberg years ago in about 2016. It was the most chaotic four months of my life. Absolute carnage. All I did as a leader of that congregation was walk around and pick up the mess afterwards. Because wherever Cindy went, demons were manifesting. I was just like, it was ridiculous. I was like, I thought the congregation was doing okay up to that point. Anyway, but that... In slaves, there's demonic powers, okay? And then... Um, there's, there's an aspect of sin which renders us, it renders us powerless to save ourselves. Okay? And while that's a hectic thing, it's a beautiful truth as well. Because it means we have to throw ourselves into the love and the goodness of God. He's made a way for us. We cannot save ourselves. Alright, so alienates, condemns, enslaves, and renders us powerless. So the question is, like, what are, how, how, how should we respond to sin our if we're, going to be, if we're going to be a people who are going to steward well what Jesus is doing in us and not squander it, then we need to respond. We need to identify sin in our lives and we need to respond to it ruthlessly. And so, Father, where you're pointing things out, I mustn't just like, I mustn't make a home for it or I mustn't be okay with it. I must get ruthless by this, about this thing. Bring it into the light, and as you bring it into the light, and trust that as you walk it out in the body, freedom will come, and you can cut it off and walk into into more. So regret is not going to be enough. If you have regrets on your sin, it's not going to bring freedom. It's not. Even remorse. Remorse is not. It's not going to bring you freedom. You're just going to keep on returning back to the same place with God over and over again. No repentance. And I'm sure some of you um, realized last week when Mervis was leading worship and the presence of God and the Father, heart of God. Man, it's easy in those moments to run to Him, isn't it? Because you know, you sense His acceptance, you sense His love, and it's so easy to run out of the darkness into the light in those moments. And that's the kind of God, He might be a holy God, but through His Son, He's made a way for Him to reveal His loving kindness to us. And for us to respond to his love through his son, so that we run to him and not a run away from him. And so repentance makes a way for us to come back into the arms of the Father. As we were mentioning up earlier, like God, I think Audrey had that word, we'll be held, we loved. But if you're only being held by him in that place and you only have regrets and remorse about your sin, you're not going to grow up, you're not going to be set free, you're not going to bring freedom into the body. You're going to remain in bondage. God wants in those times to massage repentance into you by the truth of His Son and through His Holy Spirit, lifting up Jesus so you can see what He did for you and accept what He's done for you by faith. Okay, and so with regard to those, the, the, those four aspects of sin that I mentioned earlier, as we come to a place of repentance in God, there are, th- there are things that He does in us. He regenerates us. We become born again. And that regeneration, regeneration brings us into a new family where Rosa from Mozambique can be my sister in Christ. Okay. So we become a brothers and sisters in the family of God. It's not, just a, it's not just a spiritual truth, but it becomes a relational reality. We brother and sister. Her freedom is my freedom. My freedom, my freedom is her freedom. And together, as we walk together, God sets us free and alienation is overcome. How many people today, just, just some of you sitting in this room this morning, are feeling alienated? 
Actually, deep down inside of you, you're feeling like, actually, I feel alienated. There's still a manifestation of, of that, like, orphan spirit inside of you. It's a not light. Or I'm not truly known. And God makes a way through regeneration for us to be freely and truly known by God. He's known everything all along. But freely and truly known by each other as well. Amen. It's really awesome. There's justification. We stand condemned before God. I'm not going to go into that too much. I touched on it in my last preach. But He justifies us. Through what He did on the cross, He declares over us that we can now stand righteously and in right standing before Him. And the, the condemnation lifts off us. Okay. But He liberates us, liberates us as well. And that thing of coming into the family of God and bringing our sin, 1 John 4, 1 John 1, 5 to 10. Out of the darkness into the light, as you were touching about earlier, Mark. As we do that, it liberates us. If we don't do that with our sin, we will remain enslaved. And so God in His wisdom brings us into a family, into a family where His love abounds. And He says, in this place you're safe, you're loved, you're accepted. But you can bring the worst of the worst of the worst of who you are into the light in this place. And you will not be condemned. Amen. You'll be loved. God wants to love you and liberate so that you liberate you so you're no longer enslaved to the power of sin. Amen. Okay. I saw three people falling asleep, so it was just for you. Um, and then, you know, as we come into relationship with Him, He empowers us. It's not our power, it's His power, it's the Spirit living inside of us. Those of us, you know, who've all had a salvation experience, you know. I was smoking dope before I got saved. I no longer smoke dope. I was up partying with my friends when I got saved. I no longer went up partying with my friends. I used to swear like a crazy man before I got saved. When I moment I got saved, I stopped swearing. Why? Not because Ross was trying to do it, but because the Spirit of God had changed me. I've been born again. I've been And so we have power inside of us because we have the life of God living inside of us. Okay, that's good news and it's beautiful truth. Okay, so having said all of that, what I, what I really want to say as we get to a point of trying to make this a little bit more practical is to say, okay, I just don't have like three pages of notes without looking at them, that's awesome, um, is, um, yeah, is to say that the saving work of the Spirit in us is not intended, um, is intended to Okay, it's not intended to overcome sin as an end in itself. So God doesn't just want to save you from your sin. Okay, He does want to save you from your sin. But the reason He saved you from your sin is because He wants to bring you into the body so you can participate in the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the church. That's why, it's cared, that's why He cared about Achan. You see it in the Old Testament and New Testament. He always cares about His people. I've often had this thought, you know, like one day, like we know, when Kim, when Kim preached a couple of weeks, a few weeks ago, he spoke about the fact that we're all going to give an account one day. We're going to stand before God. I've often wondered, like I've thought on that, and I know I'm going to give an account. I really do. But I've often thought, like, is he going to call us as a congregation? Green points. And I was like, and are, are we going to give an account for who we were in him? And for how we live together, and what we steward together as people. It's a different type of thought. But I've often thought about it. It's like, he could, he could say to the church in Cape Town, come and stand and give an account for who you are. But, but I don't think God's going to do that. Um, even though the body of Christ, in a sense, at one level is one, 
I think he'll start by calling churches, because in churches you have elders, and in elders, and you have elders and deacons, and you have members, and you have the church functioning together where there's real relationship, and we can truly give an account of who we are and how we live submitted one to another. Interesting thought, eh? Yeah. Anyway, so we're born again, he brings us into, into the life of the church to participate the fellowship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this, this people, this group of people that we are, therefore become a foretaste of what is to come. We become a foretaste of heaven. So we are a taste of heaven on earth as a community. Alright, just a beautiful, beautiful picture. And that's why our freedom comes. And that's why our sin comes. Because as people interact with us and interact with the body, they're getting a foretaste of heaven. Either the foretaste of heaven is, is going to be pure, and it's going to be holy, and it's going to be powerful, and it's going to be righteous, and it's going to be loving, or the taste they're going to have is going to be corrupted somehow. And let's be honest, it's always going to be corrupted to some degree. It's only going to be perfect ultimately when we spend eternity with Him forever. But we know that Jesus is preparing His church and purifying His church and readying her for her return. Amen. Okay, and that's why your freedom counts and my freedom counts. Because we no longer are our own. Our lives are no longer our own lives. Okay, so if you're hiding, if you're sitting with sin and you're hiding it, and you're burying it, that thing's not just affecting you, it's affecting us. It's affecting us. Because it says here, Romans 12 verse 5, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Ephesians 1 verse 17, Paul praying, and this Audrey prayed this or brought this word a couple of weeks ago. It says in verse 18, God wants to have our hearts enlightened, that we know may know what is the hope to which he's called us, and what is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so we we are so focused on our own personal inheritance. You know how I pray, like, Lord, what have you got for me? What does my future hold for me? What have you got for my family? Do you hear that? Me, 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 my, my, my. And God's like, no, it's you, 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 we, we, we. That's what he's seeing. That's what he gets. It burns in his heart. Okay, and then Ephesians 2.21 says, I love this New Living Translation, um, translation of it. It says, we are carefully joined together in him. Becoming a temple for the Lord. God has carefully joined us together so that we may be a people who truly and honestly and hopefully reflect who He is and live in fullness and can embrace our inheritance together. And so as I come to land this morning, I wanted to remind us of a few things. It's interesting that uh, Neil mentioned baptism earlier, because as I was preparing this, God was speaking to me a lot about baptism. I got so excited when John messaged me on Friday evening. I was doing some prep for this, and I put it in an elders group. I was like, he's, he's just going, like, I'm keen to get baptized. And I'd literally been thinking about this message. And, and this is why our baptism is so important, and why we give baptisms publicly and have other people there. Because baptism is me saying, it's you saying, and it's us saying, I now no longer live for myself. That my life has now been so caught up in Jesus that I'm yes. living for us. My, my life is immersed within the body. The old man has died, 
The new man has come and the new man is a, is a man who's been born again into a relationship in this community and I now live in this community. And so that is why baptism is so powerful. One of the reasons, because it's a corporate picture, it's a picture of what God's doing in us. That's why church membership, I believe that's why church membership is so important. Okay, we're not just to drift in that, into a church and out of a church and visit this church here and that church there. The whole thing with church membership is so that we can live deeply in relationship with each other. Accountable, as Mark was saying earlier. Not just signing up to be part of a church and doing church stuff, but sharing our lives with each other. Okay. And this is why our sanctification is so important. That all of us is on a journey of being made holy. And if you somehow resist what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in you, you're not just resisting what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in you, you're resisting what the Holy Spirit's wanting to do in the body. Hey? Man. That's why community is so important. Not just to go together, gather together on a Wednesday night and like sit and have some coffee and like, you know, and, and speak and chat and encourage one another. No, community, community is so important because it's in community we can bring darkness into light. It's a safe space. We can love one another. And sanctification can occur as we draw nearer and nearer to Jesus Christ, not just in our own, but in relationship. And so as I land this this morning, I want to ask us a few questions. I hope, firstly, I hope this has unsettled you in some way. I hope so. Because when I read this portion of Scripture, it unsettled me. It made me think about my life and where I'm at. And how I'm, you know, how I'm walking with the Lord and how, how I'm letting Him into the, the, the areas of my life where I know I need more of how to fix the body. I hope it's unsettled you. But I only hope it unsettles you so that this morning you'll make a decision to say, I want to settle myself in God. And I want to settle myself in this community. Okay, so if you're shaking a bit, he doesn't want to shake you so that you run away. He wants to shake you so that he can plunge you in here. He can uproot you from sin and he can plunge you into who he is in a fullness that you've maybe had, never had before. And so I want to ask you this morning, having heard this, what is your response going to be? The next time the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, are you going to feel regret? Are you going to feel remorse? Or having been cut to the heart by the Spirit, are you going to open up to Him and repent and come to Him? Because regret and remorse is not going to bring us into freedom. Our inheritance, if you don't move forward, we won't move forward. Okay, and if I don't move forward, you won't. Alright, what is your response going to be? I hope it's going to be repentance. And then asking these questions again, I've mentioned them a few times, but again, as I land, do you realize that your failure is our failure? Do you realize that your success is our success? Do you realize that your sin is our sin? Do you realize that your victory is our victory? Do you realize that your bondage is our bondage? And do you realize that your freedom is our freedom? Do you? And if you do this morning, I'd love to provide a moment. We can just pray. We can quiet ourselves before God. And we can come to this morning and say, Lord, you know what? 
Maybe I haven't realized the gravity of our, the corporateness of what's going on here. That I've become too independent, maybe too isolated in my thinking. And bring yourself back to Him today and realize you've been grafted into the body. You've been added to the body. And He's wanting to do something in you so that we can walk in more. And so I want you to stand, guys. I'd love to pray for you. Um, and as we stand, just want to leave us with this scripture, which is such a beautiful scripture. It says, Do you not know that the riches of His kindness and His patience, do you not know that that's been an expression of God's kindness to you to lead you to repentance? To lead you to repentance. Thank you, Lord. Let's just close our eyes. I'm not going to make this long. I'm not going to draw it out. But I want to provide an opportunity for us this morning to come to Him.